Welcome to the Together PDX podcast. You're listening to our Gospel Gathering series, where we will be replaying valuable content from past events where local Portland leaders gathered to hear from authors, theologians, and scholars. We'd like to note that the views shared by our guests don't necessarily reflect those of the entire Together PDX team. We pray today's content enriches your day and spirit. Hey everyone, Elise Gallus here, and today we're going to hear about Sabbath from Dr. Matthew Sleeth, who is a real leading expert on this topic. This is another COVID throwback. So it's a gospel gathering that was originally done over Zoom, and you'll hear reference to the times we were in when they first recorded. But the principles of Sabbath and why it's so important are absolutely relevant no matter what time we're in. One of the things I love about this talk in particular is that it's really for anyone. Sometimes with these gospel gatherings, it's kind of heady theological stuff, great for pastors and scholars, but this talk in particular is really for you, no matter who you are, so I hope you'll enjoy. In this first part, Dr. Sleeth will talk more about the why. Then in part two, we'll get more practical. You'll hear some questions at the end of this talk that will be from pastors A.J. Swoboda and Mary Ann Nowak. Enjoy part one of Sabbath Lessons for Ministry Leaders with Dr. Matthew Sleeth. Good morning to all of you who have joined us for the Portland Gospel Movement webinar. We're so excited today to gather with Dr. Matthew Sleeth, and we're going to be talking about Sabbath for leaders, especially in this very crazy year that we're experiencing 2020. I can't wait to hear what Dr. Sleeth has to share with us today. Um, but first, I'd love to open us in prayer. So would you bow your heads and focus your heart and pray with me? Father, we come before you this morning and... We just want to say thank you for who you are. You are a God who rests. You are a God who orders time. You are a God who's numbered our days. You are a God who's sovereign over all things. Nothing takes you by surprise. And you are present and you are perfect in every way. And so we come before you. We want to just center our hearts and minds on you this morning. We want to invite you into this space of time that we're going to to really learn from one another. We're going to examine our own hearts and our own adherence to Sabbath, which is a gift that you've given to us. I pray right now, Lord, that your spirit would come, that you would be in every word that's shared, that you would prompt us with great questions to ask, and that you would encourage us. You would encourage us by your word, by Dr. Sleeth's experience, um, and by this wonderful gift that you've given to your people, which is a gift of rest. And so we ask that you come now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, again, I'm so glad that you are here. I want to just kind of share with you about how this time is going to go. Um, we're going to have a session with uh, Dr. Matthew Sleeth, and then we're going to be engaging in some questions. We're going to get an opportunity to ask him some questions. So I want to invite you to use the chat at the bottom of your screen. If, if things come to mind as he's speaking, would you please just write those questions? In fact, right now, you can just get on the chat and introduce yourself. Let us know that you're here. We'd love to be able to, to just engage with you as best as possible to blast through these barriers that Zoom provides and just engage real time as best we can. Uh, then we're going to have a uh, time for questions and we're going to come back and have another session. And then we're going to have more opportunity for questions as well. Um, I might be unfamiliar to you, so let me introduce myself. Uh, my name is Marianne Nowak. I am a pastor at River West Church. I specialize in ministry to women. And so I, I just love being a part of this great team at River West and also getting to minister to all the women in our, in our church body and our community. I'm also an adjunct professor at Western Seminary where I teach a class in leadership to women. 
and I am currently a doctoral candidate at Gordon-Conwell back in Boston, where I'm studying spiritual formation, and I'm working right now on a thesis project studying the impact of spiritual formation on ministry leaders in the church. So I was delighted to read um, Matthew Slee's book because it's right up the alley of what I'm studying, and I'm so eager to apply what he has written to my own project. I'm also joined here by A.J. Swoboda, and he is a co-panelist with me today. Um, AJ is a, is a pastor and a professor and an author. He's currently, um, a professor at Bushnell in Eugene and also at Fuller Seminaries where he actually teaches Bible studies, Christian theology, theology, Bible studies and Christian history. And, um, he is also a lead mentor of the demon program on the Holy Spirit and leadership at Fuller Seminary. He is founder and director of Blessed Earth Northwest, which is a center that thinks creatively and strategically about creation care issues in the Pacific Northwest. He is married and he has um, uh, uh, one son. I forgot to mention too, I'm married 36 years to my husband, Bob. We have two grown children and three golden retrievers. So that's that's a little bit about me. And AJ, would you mind introducing Dr. Matthew Sleeth to us today? I'd be absolutely happy to, and thank you for that. Uh, introduction and and it was neglected that I have uh, eight emotionally unstable chickens as well so I I forgot to mention that as well. Um, yeah, Dr. AJ Swoboda here uh, from Eugene, Oregon. And uh, wh- how do you introduce? Uh, how does somebody introduce their hero? Um, <clears throat> Dr. Matthew Sleeth uh, is uh, for many people uh, who are seeking to follow Jesus in this um, insanely unpredictable and unsustainable way of living that we have called normal. Uh, Dr. Matthew Sleeth has paved uh, uh, paved a way forward for us to think in a different way about what normal means. And um, Dr. Sleeth has a fascinating story. He was a, an, an emergency room physician, uh, didn't know God, an emergency room physician, and Jesus encountered him and met him as a, as a doctor. And for the last <clears throat> couple of decades, Dr. Sleeth has given his life to teach Christians um, both how to care for the planet, care for the earth. His, his book, Serve God, Save the Planet, is phenomenal. Um, but as well, taught Christians about this biblical principle that we have forgotten. By the way, the one commandment in the Ten Commandments that God said, remember the Sabbath day. And he is reminding us of something we have forgotten, the Sabbath. Uh, Dr. Sleeth and his wife, Nancy, uh, started and <clears throat> run an organization called Blessed Earth, which uh, serves this purpose. Uh, he's an incredible human being, and I had the privilege of uh, serving alongside him for uh, a couple of years and continuing his work in the Pacific Northwest. And so uh, it is my joy to introduce, if you're allowed to be the leading thinker on one of the Ten Commandments, I want to introduce you to Dr. Matthew Slee. Hello, everyone. Uh, thanks for having me. And uh, broadcasting, if anybody wants to let me know. Uh, that'd be great. Um, so um, uh, it, it's if we think back to this past December, I don't think any of us that are on this um, could have guessed that in a couple of months the uh, roads would be deserted on a Monday morning, that um, the stores would be closed. Um, that schools would be let out, uh, and, um, and that churches wouldn't be meeting. And so 
Um, I don't know anyone who had that prediction. And so we're all in a place that um, none of us anticipated and none of us planned for. Um, and, uh, and here I am communicating to you in a very different way than I'm used to doing. Um, and um, uh, it's, it's unusual for me, so you'll have to pardon me if I'm not as animated as I should be or... Um, it doesn't feel um, right to you. It feels different to me to be uh, talking in, in this manner. Um, I, uh, just like the rest of you, kind of uh, got hit by this and, and, and didn't know what was coming uh, in 2020. I had a, a little bit of a heads up in, in that I had a friend who's a missionary uh, who'd been living in Shanghai for three years and uh, I remember him explaining to me uh, in, in January what an extraordinary thing it was to shut China down uh, during what is their biggest holiday, which is uh, the New Year's time, in which, um, uh, you know, something like three quarters of a billion people travel at that time. And so I had a, a little bit of a, a heads up on, on what was coming. Um, and, uh, but I, I didn't really fully appreciate how much it would change my life and how much it would change my family's life and, um, and how much it would change the life of the church. Uh, and I want to share with you what has worked and what hasn't worked for me over this last six months. And more than that, what's worked for me and my family over the last 15 years or so, which is Sabbath. Um, and uh, I want to, uh, because uh, I get to, I'm going to tell you about my grandchildren, because one of the things that happened along with COVID is that my uh, son and daughter-in-law and my two grandchildren came back from Africa for a break. It was scheduled. It was their first break, uh, and they were going to be home for six months. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's really hard to describe the joy of a grandparent and, and seeing their grandchild again. And, um, uh, and I have this lovely little three-year-old granddaughter that comes home. Uh, when, um, she was not yet born, her parents prayed this prayer that she would have a special relationship with scripture. And I don't know whether God's making that come true or her parents are making that come true, but she really does have this special relationship with scripture already. And uh, by the time she was two, she could, uh, she could completely rattle off first Corinthians 13 and the 23rd Psalm and the Lord's prayer and that sort of thing. And so her dad, my son, made a film of her before she turned four, which she did uh, just a few weeks ago, um, saying the 139th Psalm, which isn't a real short one or whatever. And um, she's uh, saying this song and a Psalm and along about the time she gets to verse 20 unless you're and she's not missing a beat she's just going along and her brother's crying in the background her little brother's crying she doesn't miss a beat and by the time she gets to verse 20 which is they speak against you with malicious intent your enemies take your name in vain just in, 
just to let you know she is a normal kid, she said that whole line with her finger in her nose, um, uh, picking it. So uh, along with this um, saying of the Psalms and everything, they had a set of questions that they asked her. We did this to our kids as they grew up. Uh, every year on their birthday, we'd ask them a set of questions. And it's very interesting to see how things change over the years. They don't remember what they've said from year to year. So you can see what's consistent, what's not consistent with them. And so uh, my, my, this was all filmed, and my, my son has uh, her on his, his lap, and he's um, one of the, the first question is, uh, what, what would you do if you had a million dollars? And she thinks for a minute, she said, the things I normally do, I would play. And they kind of clarify it, and he says, that a million dollars is a lot of money. Well, what would you buy? She would buy balloons. How do you make pizza? You make it good, was her answer. Uh, how long does it take to make dinner? Some minutes. Uh, what will your brother be when he grows up? He'll be Luke. <laughs> so she's not a super genius or anything. What does your daddy do best? He takes care of people. And that's absolutely true. He's the only pediatrician for about 3 million kids where he is in Africa. Um, how about your mom? She takes care of me. What are you afraid of? Cicadas and trains. And then what is the best day of your life? And this is where the story has bearing. What's the best day of your life? Sunday, Sabbath is the best day. And um, one of the other questions was, what is the good deed? And she says, plant trees. So this is definitely my granddaughter. She's already understands about planting trees, and she understands about Sabbath, the Lord's day. Um, and, and that brings up and highlights one of the most important points. You and I are probably either, uh, if you're an adult listening to this, you probably are either new to keeping Sabbath or, um, you haven't kept it and you maybe want to, uh, and the real people that can be given Sabbath are the next generation. And uh, as a three-year-old, that's already the special day of her week. It's very interesting. John Wesley uh, asked his mother, how did you raise us the way you did? Because it wasn't just John and Charles. There were all kinds of fabulous siblings in his family. And um, and so it was. he asked his mother if she could kind of systematically write down what is it that you did that resulted in the family that you have. And and one of the first things that she notes in that letter, and it's very easy to get online, Susanna Wesley's uh, letter about raising children, uh, is that the children, before they could, quote, walk or well go, knew what the Sabbath was. That was already a special day in their life meaning before they could, when they were just toddlers, when they were just cruising around on the furniture, banging their heads on the coffee table, that sort of thing, they already knew what Sabbath was. And it would be my prayer that the people listening to this um, are are invited into the Sabbath and realize the value of it, but even more, that they realize that we don't know what's coming for this next generation. We don't know whether stores will be open, closed, whether you know uh, drones will be dropping things out of the sky to us or we'll be beaming to the grocery store. But if they have a Sabbath in the, their life, 
they will know that every uh, week, that one day is set aside to rest and refresh in the Lord. Um, and so uh, the first question I think we have to ask, and, and I know there's church leaders on this uh, um, listening and uh, watching, and I know there's a lot of pastors. And so I'm going to take up a theologic question first, which is, why do we have Sabbath? Why do we, as people on this side of the cross, 2,000 years uh, in time on this side of the cross, we don't celebrate Yom Kippur, we don't celebrate Tish B'Av, uh, uh, we don't celebrate uh, um, Hanukkah, etc. Why, and we don't keep kosher, no one um, who, who's, who's not uh, Jewish keeps kosher. Why do we adhere to this one out of the Ten Commandments? Why, and, and not just because it's the longest of the commandments in the Bible, not because it's central in the middle of the Ten Commandments, but I guess the question is, why do we adhere to that? I'll go back to John Wesley for a moment. Uh, many of you have probably heard, if you haven't heard of John Wesley, Google him. Um, he's not alive anymore. Um, but, uh, most of you probably will have heard of what's called the Wesleyan quadrilateral. Um, it's a way of analyzing and thinking about materials, questions, uh, if we're being invaded by aliens. What do we do? Well, you can try to analyze it through the Wesleyan quadrilateral. And an acronym for remembering what the quadrilateral was, and he never used this term. It's been applied to him after um, uh, his passing, um, is the acronym REST, um, where R is for reason, E is for experience, S is for scripture, which really should go first. Always go to scripture first. And T is tradition. What has been the tradition? And it's it's very interesting that you can apply this to all kinds of questions and dilemmas and ethical problems that come up, including I think COVID nineteen. If you you don't have to be a pastor, but if you're just alive in the United States now, people are asking, what do we do about COVID, and and how should the church respond? And I remember getting an email early on from somebody quoting C.S. Lewis about uh, England being uh, bombed by England and how they should go on and play darts and be in the pubs and live. That was great, but it wasn't very applicable, and it was a kind of a one-channel thinking on things. And if the, the quadrilateral was applied to Sabbath or, or, or to, to COVID, um, I think you get to better answers. Um, I haven't systematically done this, but I hope that somebody listening to this does. Um, if you really want to tear that apart, what do you do about COVID and rest and work and that sort of thing? Um, I think you want to go through the Bible from one end to the other and look at the plagues there and how were they used? How were they uh, what were the circumstances of them? Was God working or not working? He certainly was with David and the plagues. He certainly was with Sennacherib uh, and the invasion and the plagues. Uh, Jesus and Matthew described something that can only be like a plague where two people are working and one is taken and the other isn't. And um, 
two people are drawing water at a well, for instance, and one is affected and one is not, um, his heads up is you never know when I'm coming, and, and none of us know, um, you know, the number of our days. Um, uh, but you could apply that, and you could look at Scripture. You could look at the experience. Um, what has been the church's experience with plagues and things like that? There's actually quite a bit written um, throughout the last 2,000 years about hand-washing and whether or not the church should wash its hands. And um, we have the experience, actually, of two um, much more recent people, Oliver Wendell Holmes, and again, a Semmelweis. There's actually a term called the Semmelweis reflex, or the Semmelweis uh, condition, uh, which was a widely used term a hundred years ago and was bandied about in the church quite a bit. Um, and that comes from Oliver Wendell Holmes Sr. Um, and uh, and again, a Semmelweis. They were both physicians. One was in Boston. One was at Vienna Women's Laying-In Hospital. And they both simultaneously, about 20 years before the Civil War, realized that purple fever, or it used to be called childbed fever, was greatly diminished if um, the the people delivering the babies, whether that was a nurse midwife or a physician, washed their hands and their instruments between doing an autopsy and delivering a baby. And uh, the death rate fell dramatically, multiple, multiple percentage points. Um, uh, I believe at Vienna Women's uh, Hospital, it fell from in the 20% to 0.2% uh, with this. And, uh, and Holmes had a similar experience in the United States. And the reason I'm bringing this up um, is because Semmelweis was jailed uh, for this. Um, Eventually, ironically, in two weeks' time in jail, he um, it was a mental institution jail, he uh, died um, of an infection, ironically. Um, and in the United States, Oliver Wendell Holmes Sr. was harassed, but he had a standing that was much greater uh, than Semmelweis's. The Pennsylvania Medical Society revoked Holmes's license to practice medicine in Pennsylvania. Didn't affect him at all. He was really at the head of what was Harvard um, at the time, and he only practiced in Massachusetts and uh, in New Hampshire. And the question would be, why the rejection of this? Why? Um, uh, and the reason was that pastors uh, and other physicians um, said that Semmelweis and Holmes were not following the Bible. After all, Jesus said we don't have to wash our hands. And so when you take up anything, whether it's COVID or Sabbath or uh, circumstances, um, you know, that each of you are dealing with and getting ethical questions on, a look at scripture and the experience and tradition and then using reason is always a great way uh, to tackle things. So I'm going to answer the question of why do we have Sabbath in a, a, a world where Paul writes things like um, one man esteems uh, a particular day over another. In Romans 12, he's writing this. He's writing specifically about Sabbath and that you don't have to keep it. But he does say that everyone should have a firm conviction about it. And most people, by default, just go with what society thinks. Um, 
And so if we look at scripture, Sabbath shows up right at the get-go. It's on the first page of the Bible. Now, the Bible um, obviously hasn't been um, communicated to us in the exact way that it was written. And one of the things that's been changed uh, in Scripture is um, the, the verses and the chapters. And I think most often... Um, uh, Stephen Langton is, is the one who's either credited or blamed with having put, uh, chapter and verse, uh, in the Bible. I think it was actually probably Hugo of St. Clair much earlier in about the year 1200 who, who did this and applied it to the Vulgate. Um, but I don't read Latin and so I can't go back and look at his correctum, uh, which is, uh, this treatise on correcting scripture. Um, but, uh, either one of them, um, uh, tweaked the Bible in a way that I think is harmful to the Sabbath. In Genesis, uh, each day God is creating, um, a, a universe and, and out of nothing and he's, and he's speaking it into existence. And each day he's making something that's more complicated than the day before. And then, um, what begins in in uh, Genesis chapter two really should be Genesis one because I think the opening um, part of the Bible is a song. I think that for two reasons: one, Tim Keller thinks that, and and uh, number two, um, you know, there's mention of uh, the angels singing at the beginning of of everything, and and so um, I think this probably our opening of our Bible is a song. And that song ends with, thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. And so God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. That's the the end of the first creation story and we see that already um, Sabbath has been invented as it were by God he's made the Sabbath it says he finishes his work on the seventh day I think what he does is he makes this this Sabbath and he rests on this day and um, God is holy and um, God rests and therefore rest is holy it's uh, in English it's called a syllogism and in math, it's called the transitive property. If God rests and God is holy, therefore rest must be holy. And this is the first time we hear the word holy, kadosh, set apart, in, in Scripture. And it's applied to Sabbath. And in the book of Genesis, at least in an Exodus, it's not applied to anything else. It isn't how you behave versus, uh, you know, not stealing or being forgiving or that sort of thing. It's Sabbath. That's the first definition that we have of holy is Sabbath. As you begin going through scripture, an odd thing happens. Hundreds of years passed and, you know, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and, and, uh, who, who becomes Israel and all of his sons are born. And we never hear a word about Sabbath again. It's a bit of a mystery. And then, uh, a period of 400 years, uh, this gap exists in scripture, just like between Malachi and the, and the New Testament. 
and and then we meet up with the Hebrew people in Egypt, and they're slaves. Things have changed for them. They didn't expect that either. Uh, they've gone from being a big deal um, with the head of their clan as the Grand Vizier of of Egypt to being slaves, re- reduced. And there's this character called the the Pharaoh. And did you know that in the Egyptian language, in ancient Egypt, there isn't a word for freedom? It doesn't even exist. Everyone existed in subjection to the Pharaoh. The Pharaoh was a living God. Um, and what he, he said was, or she, in the case of Hatshepsut or a couple of the female uh, Pharaohs, um, was everything. Um, they were the religion, they were the, they were the state, the law, the works. And the Pharaoh has, um, reduced these people to slavery and his kind of, um, he's kind of a CEO who's just trying to squeeze out the last bit of work. He's paranoid. Um, and he has this kind of thing of work, work, work. And now if you complain, uh, you don't get any straw. It it reminds me of a T-shirt I saw once. You know, it said something like the pirate ethic, um, which is that the beatings will continue until um, the complaining stops. That that was his approach to anyone uh, 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 that complained. But of course, God hears the cry of these people, and um, and, and God answers their prayer, and God frees them with these mighty works and deeds, although the first time the Pharaoh says, ah, God's involved, is is when the gnats come. You know, it's the tiniest thing um, that that turns the day there. And and God leads these people out of bondage um, towards freedom. And before he gives them any of the Ten Commandments, he gives them Sabbath. Uh, and uh, because God has this special place in his heart for the overworked and um, the disenfranchised and the downtrodden. And I'm going to read um, the, the, the Sabbath commandment from Exodus 20. It's the longest commandment in Scripture. It is the only commandment which God applies to God specifically. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now this Sabbath commandment is repeated uh, at least uh, three full times uh, and partially in in the Old Testament. It's really, really crucial. It's repeated in in Deuteronomy 5.11, and there it says, remember you were slaves. It gives, um, uh, in in the first telling of it, it, God says, remember I created this universe, and I'm holy. Um, I think he, God has learned a little bit more about people and how stubborn they are, so by the time we hear it again in Deuteronomy, it's uh, remember that you are slaves. Hey, you, you, you don't want to be slaves again. 
in Exodus, um, at the end of Exodus, uh, it, the Sabbath commandment is repeated in, in total, really, when Moses is going down from the mountain. It's, it's like uh, God is saying, I'm, I'm blessing you and I'm sending you back to these people. The one thing you got to remember is the Sabbath. Then we see how the Sabbath is kept or not kept uh, as the Old Testament unfolds. And by the time we get to the New Testament, we we see Jesus um, teaching about all of the commandments. Um, and, and I think you really get a hint of where we can go off the rails. Um, what's wrong with honoring your parents? And yet there's so many games being played about that, that Jesus has to straighten folks out. And I think that the Sabbath has become so perverted um, by the time Jesus comes along. So many onerous laws have been added on that Jesus is teaching, uh, teaching about the real purpose of uh, Sabbath in his ministry. The majority of the miracles that Jesus does and performs are on the Sabbath day. Um, and when we examine those miracles, they they have something in common. Um, Jesus doesn't walk on water that day. Um, what he does, um, he doesn't feed 5,000. Everything that Jesus does on the Sabbath day, every miracle that he performs is about healing. And uh, it has been my personal experience that the greatest thing I can say about Sabbath is that it's a day of healing. It's a day of wholeness and shalom. Um, Sabbath, the word, and I should probably say it softer, is, um, I, is, and the, it escapes me. If somebody can jump back in, uh, AJ, if, if you know, um, that, that English, that term for when a word sounds like what it is. And so it's shh. It's about shalom, Sabbath, like Solomon, a man of peace. And so it's supposed to be a time of peace and healing. Um, Let me say theologically this one point. As I understand Sabbath, and I know that not everyone who claims Christ um, as Lord and Savior would agree with me on this, but as I understand the theology of uh, the Scripture and the New Testament, Sabbath-keeping is not a condition of getting into heaven. It's just the condition that heaven is in when you get there. So we've seen you know, how Sabbath plays out in Scripture, but why is it that we still have it? Well, every generation of the church um, that I'm aware of has taken up this question of, should we still observe the Sabbath commandment, this side of the cross? And um, it's very interesting that I lived a, a couple of decades in northern New England, and there's many churches up there which are hundreds of years old. And um, what's interesting to me that is that the biggest change in my lifetime is that churches are locked up now. When I was a kid, I never encountered a church anywhere that was locked. When people went on vacations and they had to stop and use a restroom, they'd stop at churches because they were all unlocked. You'd stop at your own denomination. Um, but uh, 
And, and so how did locks get on the doors of churches to begin with? Well, in northern New England, there's writing about this, and we kind of know um, churches were open 364 days out of the year, and they put locks on the churches to lock them up for one day out of the year, which was Christmas. They didn't want people celebrating this pagan holiday, which the church sees as, you know, the high holiday, oh, high holy day now. Remember, holiday is holy day. Um, and, and, and church, you know, Christmas is, is the big business for the church now. But um, 150 years ago, 200 years ago, that was the one day out of the year that they locked churches up. But they kept the Sabbath. Um, Sabbath keeping would get you thrown out of a, a Wesleyan ban um, faster than drinking. Uh, and so each generation of the church has taken up whether or not we should observe the Sabbath. Um, it was taken up when the Eastern and Western church um, split. It was taken up in the Reformation. We have the thoughts of Calvin and Luther and others. And all of them agreed that um, it wasn't uh, per se a point of salvation. It was just essential in being a follower of God. And one of the reasons um, that society was felt to be better because of Sabbath wasn't because of the person who was taking the Sabbath. It was because of the people who are given the Sabbath. And if you'll think back to this, you know, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. That's heads up to the person reading it. But it says, on it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, little kids, they have no control over the, um, uh, you know, time of their life and what they're doing and when they're doing it. When uh, Hannah was um, asked, how long does it take to make dinner? She said minutes. She she has no idea. And so for those who, who have no awareness of time yet, um, the, your male and your female servants, those who have no say over when they work and how, um, the sojourner who is within your land, uh, the the immigrant, that sort of thing, uh, often has to take the the lowest of the low jobs, um, and even the beast of the burdens uh, are, are are mentioned here, meaning God specifically designed these things. It seems to to protect the lowest classes and the most disenfranchised and the least powerful in society. So it's it's interesting um, to me that every generation of the church has understood that, have understood that it was not per se a point of salvation. And yet in my generation, um, Sabbath has become oh, maybe a quirky little thing that you do um, uh, for spiritual growth or something, but it's it's not a uh, a fundamental of what the church is for and about. And um, and so as you think about Sabbath, think not only of keeping it for yourselves, but think that in in doing Sabbath, in keeping Sabbath, and in honoring Sabbath, eventually the the most poor and disenfranchised in society are protected. Sabbath doesn't exist anywhere in the world that hasn't gotten out of Scripture. There's no other society that's ever come up with one day of rest out of seven. It is one of those fingerprints of God on the planet that we sort of take for granted. But 
Nobody else came up with it. The Babylonians had something like it for wealthier people, but they probably got it from the Hebrews. Um, and uh, whenever missionaries come into a new society, one of the most striking things that they brought in the past was Sabbath. And um, if you've ever read any of the missionary journals, um, uh, there's a lovely one, How I Know That God Answers Prayer, by a, a woman who is a missionary in uh, China in the 1890s. Um, uh, and you just read about these. One of the things that was hardest for people to get their head around, even more than God, was the fact that God would allow everyone to stop one day out of the week. And so it's um, um, it's my hope that, that you um, who are in the church, who believe in God, would believe in his rest. Um, everything about the Sabbath is counterintuitive. And everything in the world wants to take it away from you. Uh, there is no government institution for Sabbath. There's no academic institution for Sabbath. The, the seminaries don't really teach it even. The academics that are just interested in theology, um, don't really adhere much to it. Um, and so everybody, everything and everyone wants to take Sabbath away from you. And it's counterintuitive, but I want to tell just a little anecdote, a little story that I think represents how you should think about Sabbath. When my kids were little um, and I was just out of residency, I, I worked in emergency medicine, my career in uh, medicine, and we lived in Mount Pelier, Vermont. It's a beautiful little town, and it's tiny. It's the smallest capital in the United States. And um, and uh, Mount Pelier is very, very small because the weather is just phenomenally bad there. It's in the middle of the mountains, and it snows, snows, snow. And the first year that I lived in northern New England with my kids, by the time that January had come, we'd already had 12 feet of snow in Mount Pelier. And uh, um, fires are a really big thing. Um, having a fire, having a wood stove, that sort of thing, it's big. And uh, so we would have a fire. And my wife one morning said, you know, the, the wood pile's getting low. You need to um, actually, and, and we had a wood pile in the basement, and then we had a wood pile outside. So the wood pile's low inside the house. You need to bring transfer wood inside. And she said, why don't you take, Clark along with you. Well, anybody who's ever had a, a little kid, um, he was three years old at that time, knows that getting a kid into a snowsuit, you know, it's it's like uh, suiting up a Mercury era astronaut or whatever. It just takes a long time. So I got him all in a snowsuit and everything, and we went down through the basement, and our house was built on a hill like this. Um, you come in one level, you go out uh, uh, a story and a half lower. Um, at the at the other side of the house, and uh, and there was a level area there that had the firewood stacked on it, and they told Clark to stay there because that that was about twenty feet, and then you hit an area that sloped off, and then it kind of hit a cliff, and you could fall twenty feet. My kids were really good; they they always uh, listened about safety things, and he stayed right close to me where he was supposed to. But something had happened that I didn't realize, and that was that the day before uh, it had gotten warm enough to melt the top of the snow, and uh, it had turned to ice. 
And while he was still on the almost level ground, um, he got on top of that ice and he did not have enough mass or weight to kind of punch through it. And he starts sliding down the hill towards the steep incline and the cliff. And, um, and he'd fall down and he'd struggle and struggle and struggle. And he'd, and in that struggling, he'd go sliding down the hill. When he fell and he was laying flat, he had enough friction to just stay there. But, you know, he knew the cliff was behind him and everything. And in that panic, um, he just wanted to struggle as hard as he could to get up to me. I wasn't going to be able to get to him in time. And I screamed to him the only thing that could save him, which was to stop. And he did. He was laying there flat. And I ran down and I grabbed him. I still remember his little blue hood on his jacket and pulled him up to safety. Now, he, every every sinew in his body, every cell in his brain said to struggle to get back up the hill. But his father, who had never lied to him, told him to stop. And if you could do that, if you if if every cell in your body says, I need to work more, I need to catch up or get ahead or whatever, and if you could remember that your father who has never liked you says stop, um that I, I will have done my 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 part here. And in that trust and in that obedience, um you're going to find rest. If you go to Hebrews four and you read chapter 3, which is about um, the Hebrew people not listening to God and not being able to enter into the land. And it goes on to describe that Christ is our rest now. But belief is what allows you to enter into that rest. And I think a lot of the times when we don't do Sabbath, it's because we don't really believe God's there. And we don't really believe that he's going to catch us. Um, and it's been my experience that he wants you to test him on this one, um, that when you stop, when you incorporate Sabbath into your life, um, uh, that you find out that God's there. Otherwise, you don't know. <laughs> Sometimes you're doing everything. Um, and so it's been my experience um, that that it is uh, very much a reassuring activity that lets you know that God's there, that he's going to give you enough manna on day six to make it through day seven, um, and and that this is going to be a very healthy experience for you, both spiritually, economically, physically, every way you look at it. Um, it's um, been pretty well documented that people who keep a regular Sabbath live a fair bit longer um, than those who don't. Uh, in the book, The Blue Zone, this is described in the United States, the cohort that lives the longest, that regularly lives into uh, the hundreds, uh, is in Loma Linda, California. It's the home of the Seventh-day Adventist. And, uh, uh, and they live longer. But i got to tell you that uh, I've been to Andrews University and some of the other flagship uh, uh, Seventh-day Adventist uh, universities to talk about Sabbath. By the time they're asking me in, a, a non-Adventist, uh, you know that Sabbath is in trouble even there. Remember I said every everything wants to take uh, Sabbath away. And actually I'll make that a little bit more personal. There's only... One person in the Bible who introduces himself to God is busy. 
And um, uh, you probably never had this pointed out, but he introduces himself to God as busy. It's in the book of Job, and it's Satan. And God says, where have you been? It's clear he's late to the meeting or the gathering. And he says, I've been going to and fro and up and down on the earth. And that's the poetry that uh, Job was written in um, that uh, um, that I'm busy because Satan is not omnipotent and omniscient. Um, he, and Satan wants to conform us into his image. And um, God wants us to conform a, us into the image of Christ, who is a man of peace. Um, and when we take his yoke upon us, and to me, his yoke is uh, keeping one day of rest, um, then that peace uh, settles on us. I think I'm going to stop here because it's so weird. I've only seen myself on this screen, and I want to see another live human and know that I'm not just talking to myself. So Marianne and AJ can come back and join me. And in the second half of this, I'll get into some specifics of how I keep the Sabbath, or maybe it'll come up with some questions. Oh, it's nice to see uh, living faces again. Thank you so much. That was so thought-provoking. There's a couple things that you said that really um, stirred up my thinking, especially uh, just talking about the day of Sabbath as healing. And it struck me how God puts us to sleep every 24 hours, right? We sleep and we our bodies rest and are rejuvenated. And how logical it would be that every seven days we would rest and we would, we would experience healing and peace. Um, but I have a question. Something that you said also really provoked my thinking. And you said that um, you said that that the poor and disenfranchised in society are protected when God's people practice Sabbath. And um, I just wonder if you could uh, explain a little bit more about that. That's a really that's a really thought provoking statement. I'd love to know what. How do you see them being protected? What What is the ripple effects of God's people in society practicing Sabbath on society at large? Well, if um, you you know you don't have uh, stores open, uh, you you don't have somebody that has to mop the floors in those stores and 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 man them and that sort of thing. It was very interesting. I was in AJ's uh, church, uh, Theophilus, in um, Portland, wonderful church, and somebody asked a question, and they said, you know, how can I take Sabbath when there's poor people who can't take it? Because egalitarianism has been um, elevated to the level of religion um, in in society, and it's not scriptural or anything. Um, and so, but it's it's motivated by good thoughts or whatever. And so this person asked it, and uh, you know I could have gone through a long, involved um, kind of explanation, but somebody raised their hand, and uh, AJ, I don't know if you remember this, and said, "Let me answer that." I'm first generation to this country. I grew up in L.A., um, and I worked in a balloon factory with my parents until I was seven, I think he said, every day of the week, Sundays included. And then my parents went to church for the first time. And then I didn't work as a seven-year-old seven days a week. He could have been nine. It was nine or seven. I don't know. Do you remember, A.J.? I don't remember how old he was, but I remember the question. 
Yeah. And so um, as we, you know, uh, begin to value time with the Lord, we tend to make room for the things that we value uh, in in life. And um, uh, the... You know, I, I think in animist societies, um, my, my, my children are full-time missionaries, medical missionaries in, uh, in, uh, Africa and, and, and they just see where when a society begins to value the Lord, they begin to have church and make time and, and a place, um, uh, for the, for the Lord in their lives. And that's how they're protected. Yeah. I can see that. Yeah, thank you. Um, Good question. Thank you. Uh, oh, my dad uh, had businesses, and he always was closed on Sunday. And so we did grow up with the Sabbath. And just what you said is true. All of those employees were released to have um, a day of just enjoying. So um, so thank you for that. AJ, I know you've got a lot of questions you'd like to ask as well. I do. And one of my favorite things about Matthew is he, he likes actually difficult questions. So I, I think I'm going to give you one, Matthew, if that's okay. Um, I really, uh, your, your work on Genesis one, uh, really shaped my understanding of the role of Sabbath. I mean, it's, you know, you pointed out to me years ago that God invites Adam and Eve to Sabbath way before he tells anybody to not murder anybody. So it's like, it's like so, it's so critical to human life and, and creation. And uh, when you look at all the days of creation, right, day one, day two, that if, if we were to remove any of the days of creation, like if we removed water from creation, um, we couldn't exist. If we remove uh, green things from creation, we couldn't, we couldn't breathe. If we removed light, we would die almost instantaneous. Yet we think we can remove the seventh day, the Sabbath, and be just fine, and creation will be just okay. I guess my question is this, Matthew, and, and again, this is theological, but you're a doctor, and, and I think there's not many people who can answer this as well as you. Um, do you think in some way, shape, or form, the fact that we have essentially uh, cut out Sabbath from the created realm, that it's actually causing uh, our bodies and our earth to, to fragment and die. I mean, are we, are we seeing, I mean, even with the virus, are we seeing creation kind of tell us, go into your room and think about what you've done for a while? That's a very interesting question. I, I think that, um, when we throw, and let's face it, when you throw Sabbath out of your life, you're throwing God out. They, they tend to go hand in hand, I think. Um, and, uh, when we throw, so I have to answer that as when we throw Sabbath and God <laughs> out. Um, uh, by, by and large, um, things begin to unwind and to go badly. Um, and, uh, I think that, you know, that our health fails, um, with that, our, our, our physical bodies fail. Uh, it we live um, a fairly long time, but not significantly longer than in a generation ago, and yet it costs us a gazillion dollars to get there. Um, and um, I, you know, I've written about this on the amount of money it takes for us to get the lifespan that we have, which isn't actually all that ex- extraordinary, and that amount of money is increasing and increasing and increasing. 
Um, and, and I think part of that is throwing God um, and uh, the Sabbath out of our lives. Um, I just, uh, when we get to talking about how do you handle Sabbath in a COVID world and everything, uh, one of the things I did um, was uh, uh, to, to have this talk with my wife about what are we going to do. This is going to be a marathon, not a sprint. And, and we had this talk in February. Um, how do we handle what I said was going to be 18 months at least um, of a very, very different um, life? Um, and one of the things I said is uh, my all of my speaking engagements were canceled. Um, uh, and I'm booked up for usually a year or so in advance. They were all canceled. And so I, I need to think about how am I going to redeem these hours and everything and one of the things I did was to write a book, which fortunately I had a contract with Tyndale for, um, and it's about suicide. And um, right now we have an epidemic of depression and suicide and drug overdoses going on in this country. And I believe that they are very much related to tossing God and the Sabbath out, um, that there's a correlation between those. Um between um, intentional suicide and ambivalent suicide, which is what I call drug overdoses that result in death, um, we're keeping pace almost with COVID deaths. It's just that it's not news. <laughs> um, it, something is very wrong, and I think the church has to get itself healthy in order to answer uh, this need, whether it's the lack of rest or or whether it's this hopelessness and this despair that's washing uh, across us now. Um, I think when people see me in church, they see somebody who's happy and not just because I got a fake smile plastered on. You, you know what I mean? And I and I think that when they look at us and they see that's you know that fruit of the Holy Spirit, which the you know the kind of the second component of that is joy um that 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 people re- will respond to that and i say hey it comes from sabbath um and i'm trying to say that it's multi-generational in my family now now is when we graft ourselves into this tree you know called christ and um and we rest and that sort of thing uh, so the answer, the long, that's a long answer to your question, AJ, that, um, that I think that not only does, um, us, do we suffer as human beings, as individuals, but all of the planet does and the environment does, because if you look at all the laws about taking care of the planet in the Old Testament, they all fall out under what's called the sabbatical laws. So God tied the two together and, and so I think, um, you know, that absolutely, absolutely there's a connection between. Yeah. And uh, Matthew, we have a question from one of our panelists, um, Bill McLeod. There is a relationship between Sabbath and fasting. It's, um, that is an interesting question. Of all the spiritual disciplines that I know the least about, fasting is at the top. <laughs> Uh, partly because I've come out of emergency medicine, and you can, and it is the most disruptive uh, schedule. You can't pick a day to fast when you need to focus 
on saving other people's uh, lives. So it just isn't something I, I've I've made a promise to the people I talk to that I will not answer something I don't know the answer uh, to. And so they picked one. But having said that, one of the um, plans that I made for this um, COVID time was uh, I got to get in better shape. You know, God wants to use me and use me for a long time. You got So I'm 17 pounds lighter than I was at the beginning of this uh uh, pandemic, so I know a little bit about being hungry. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, but connecting Sabbath and fasting doesn't naturally go together for me because to me, Sabbath is a time of joy and relaxation and um, of plenty, if you will. Sabbath represents a feast uh, to me. Now, having said that, it also represents a change. So if somebody works and, you, you know, here, I, here is my, here's my workshop, books, books, more books. I started life as a carpenter. I worked physically, you know, for seven years before I went to undergraduate school. And uh, the last thing I would want to do on a day of rest was physical exercise. Um, and Sabbath is about a change. So m- many of us are tied to desks like this, and Sabbath may very well be about a very long walk or a bike ride or, or, or some something like that. What I'm leading to is most of us stuff our faces all we want six days out of the week. We overeat. So perhaps for that person, fasting on that day uh, is that change that 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 kind of gets them out of the rut and they become more thankful for the food, et cetera. But I'm just winging it in, yeah. in connecting those there. Those are good, great thoughts. AJ, should we move on to the next session, do you think, or do you have another question? I have one last question, if possible. Um, Matthew, um, you're, if you're speaking to a bunch of pastors in the room, there's no doubt that pastors in this, in this conversation have congregants that might have reasons um, to not Sabbath and theological reasons. Um, can I just ask you the number one question I get and then, and then get your response? Um, uh, this is the number one response that I get from people that are hostile to the idea of the Sabbath. That if I keep the Sabbath, this is just me returning to kind of a Judaic legalism. Um, this is just, it's just Old Testament law and we don't have to worry about it anymore. I'm sure you've responded to that a thousand times. How do you respond to that question? Well, that was kind of the why do we have it uh, whole section I did here, because I know that there's a lot of pastors on this. Um, you know, how has the church said we're free from that law, but, oh, we got to, you know, it's just like it's not, as Paul says, I can do anything I want, but not everything is good for me. Um, and and um, uh, if you if you think that it's legalism, don't do it. Uh, don't don't do it. But um, you're you're saying I don't want to do it, and you haven't had experience with it. I would say maybe the better thing to do is to try it for six months, and then tell me what you think. Um, uh, it's it's worth that much of an experiment. I think uh, uh, six months. What is that? Twenty five days uh, that you you try uh, um, Sabbath on. It's very. Interesting. I, I have on my desk here, uh, uh, I print them out, the letters that people send me. I, I have gotten so many letters in the last six months, year really, that a, a big portion of what I'm doing now is sitting and writing 
return letters to people, particularly the non-Christians who write to me with with uh, um, questions and everything. And I get all kinds of questions and comments and that sort of thing. I have never gotten a letter. I am really mad at you that you made me take up Sabbath. I've never gotten one of those. And I've been teaching about this for 15 years. And I've never gotten a, this, this ruined my marriage, this you know, caused my health to go downhill. It's always the opposite. So this one, if somebody says that, you can say, fine, you don't have to try it. But I, I would say maybe I ought to try it and then tell me how it works out for you and speak from experience rather than from, from up here. You know, when we put on our theologian hats, we tell people what we've read. When we put on our saints hats, we tell people what we've seen. And mm-hmm. and I think to those people, they ought to see what the Sabbath does in their life. Yeah. <clears throat> so much. We're excited now to hear more from you. So um, AJ and I are going to jump off and, and let you take the floor. Thank you, Matthew. Put on our saints hats. I love how he ended that. Hey, Thanks for listening today. Part two of Dr. Sleeth's talk is available right now, and it gets so good and practical. We're talking kids, homework, chores. How does that work? So go listen now.